Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 467, which is two even numbers followed by one odd number, sweetie. Oh, I listen to Zen Parenting Radio because you'll feel outstanding, and who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Don't don't get into the, the gist of the show yet, but at least tell people what's coming. Oh, we're going to talk about our stories. Stories? Yes, I love stories. All right. I don't know what we're about to talk about, but it's going right. to be off the hook. It's going to be good. Um, I wanted to say something real quick. Um, I just took my daughter sledding because uh-huh. it's a snow day. Snow day. And this is how I know I'm getting old. It's not for me being sore. Because you're cracking all the time? It's not because I'm cracking all the time. Oh, that's me. Um, sledding is so dangerous. I know. There are kids going down a big hill. I know. Really fast. I know. And there are kids at the bottom of the hill that aren't even looking. I know. And, um... It's always been like this. Correct. But I'm viewing it through a grown-up lens, and my kids are old, so you'd think that this wouldn't be new for me. But And we have a friend whose daughter got hit really bad. She, I think she ran into something really yes. hard. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this, that was last year or two years ago. So have fun sledding, but be careful for goodness sakes. I feel the same way about skiing. <laughs> oh, sne- skiing is horrifically dangerous. And, that's, and I also, one of my girlfriends, her son, and he was... Uh, I think he was 16 or 17, he hit something when he was skiing and it was so serious and scary. And I thought, gosh, this is, but you know what? I, as much as I agree with you that sledding and I obviously brought up skiing and, and things like that. I mean, being in a public pool is dangerous if you're not watching, like, but I, I, these are, these are the things that kids do. Like, I I don't know how to, it's again, it's that bubble wrap idea where we want to send our kids off in bubble wrap and be like, don't do anything, Mm -hmm. but that's not good because there's things that come from sledding. Um, if I remember that here's the things I remember that came from sledding. Yeah. Okay. Number one, working really hard to to get to the top. So you could have that two minutes of, or not even that 30 seconds seconds of enjoyment. And so it was like you kind of learned a perseverance. Mm -hmm. Um, You also felt like tired and worn out and it felt good to come home and eat. (laughs) And have hot cocoa. Right. And I also would run into my friends on the sledding hill or I'd see people I know. And there's more to it than just the sledding. Sweetie, do you say hot chocolate or hot cocoa? I say hot chocolate. I say hot cocoa. Do you want to know why? Because you want to be different than me. No, because it reminds me of just like the old days. That we've okay. never even enjoyed. Like I'm talking like 1920s. I think they probably called it hot cocoa in the, in the 20s. You're totally making that up. Do I, you, do I am you know? totally making that okay, up. I, was gonna I say. don't know. But doesn't hot cocoa sounds like something a grandma would say? I guess. Maybe yeah. my my great grandmother from Norway, she called it hot cocoa. Maybe. Um, and then at the bottom, you know how like the chocolate kind of collects at the bottom of it? Yeah. They used to call that grook. That nice. was That's a Norwegian word, grook. G R O O K. What do we do with that A? What A? The A in cocoa. What do you mean? There's an A in there. Yeah. I know, C-O-C-O-A. but we don't say it. Cocoa. 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 <laughs> um, okay, I have a bunch of other stuff, but I'm going to get to it in the middle of the show. What about our stories, sweetie? Okay, so I'm I'm reading a bunch of books right now, and I'm finding shocking. This <laughs> Sweetie's reading a bunch of books. I'm finding this common theme. So I, depending on my, the mood I'm in, is the book I pick up, and okay. I usually read two or three at a time. And so I've been reading one of uh, 
my books for a really long time because it's very dense and it's and I only like to take in about a chapter every week. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, it's yeah. so um it's by Mark Epstein. Um the reason I love Mark Epstein's books is because he mixes uh, a Western model of therapy, mm-hmm. which is what I was trained in, with uh, Buddhist thinking. Mm. Um, and so he he is very well versed in both, has a lot of experience in both, and he finds the parallels or where we cross or how we can utilize both effectively with a client, right? which is obviously my area of interest. So one of the things that he was talking about, uh, what I read last night was he was talking with Sharon Salzberg. You know who Sharon Salzberg is, correct? She's some meditation expert, isn't she? She is. She is a mindfulness expert and she was one of the people who's been given like John Kabat-Zinn and actually Mark, well, no, not so much Mark Epstein, more like... um, Oh, what are those other guys' names? I can see them in my mind. Um, oh, I can't think of them. There's there's like three or four men, and then Sharon Salzberg, and then oh, I... Oh, Jack Cornfield. Jack Cornfield. There's a bunch of them. That guy's awesome. And so anyway, but they all kind of brought this Eastern thinking to the West, yeah. and they they were really good at teaching it in a way that people could like, you know, do it, it, could grasp it and understand it. So anyway, Sharon Salzberg, she wrote the book Real Love. We actually talked about that book on the show probably a year or so ago. And she focuses a lot on, um, uh, obviously mindfulness meditation, but how to do loving kindness. But the reason, what I thought was interesting about his conversation with her is they were talking about her history because she has a very difficult childhood Mm. that she experienced. Okay. A lot of trauma, like her mom, uh, her her dad left. Her mom passed away in front of her. She lived with a grandfather who died. Like just really traumatizing. Yeah. Um, and nobody ever talked to her about it. Mm. It was one of those situations where things would happen and then no one would say anything. I remember uh, hearing an interview with Jane Fonda, and I don't know if you know her story, but you know Henry was not the best dad. That and her mom was mentally ill. Oh, I and didn't her know mom that. committed suicide. Yikes. And nobody talked to her How about it. How was Jane when that happened? Any she was a kid. Okay. She was like 11, 12, something like that. And and she knew that her mom struggled and she knew that everybody was kind of overwhelmed by her mom's presence. And then one day her mom was gone and she was just gone. Mm. Like there was no like, here's what happened. Let's no processing, process no it. therapist. Correct. Which obviously creates a problem. Like I, a I layer. Think this is this is the thing that, you know, I love I love to read other people's stories and and recognize the similarities in people's stories. And one of the things that we have to understand, and I'm saying this as a therapist and also just from personal experiences, is that when things happen to us, we have to find a way to process it. Yeah. We have to, pretending that something didn't happen doesn't help. It, not only does it not help, it doesn't make it go away. It's short term, long term stuff. Because if you ignore it, then you're comfortable in the moment, but it's going to back up on you in some way, shape, or form. By definition, right? It doesn't. It's, it's going to back up on you. Right. Like I remember Debbie Ford, who wrote The Shadow Effect, she used to talk about how it's like trying to, you know, be in the, a swimming pool and lay on the top of a beach ball. Mm-hmm. You know, you can lay on the top of a beach uh, ball and you kind of like go back and forth on the yeah. beach ball, but eventually that beach ball pops up. Yeah. Because eventually or a wave like comes. Turn to the side. Exactly. Right, right. Something like bowls you over mm-hmm. and the way and the beach ball pops up. And and so that's the thing is sometimes we're like, if I just don't discuss it, if I just don't, if I pretend it didn't happen, um, I actually um am also I sorry, I'm throwing out all these things, but hopefully they're helpful to people who are listening. The other I was uh, listening to the 
uh, NPR podcast called Believed about Larry Nassar and about... Larry Nassar, sweetie. <laughs> Why can't I say that guy's last name? It's probably for the best. Nassar. Nassar. You know what it is? It's the A again. Because yeah, it's N-A-S-S-A-R, it. just like Coco has an A. If the A is there, don't we say it? No, we have a lot of silent letters in the English know. language. I struggle. It's like February. I love February. February. What's it doing Actually, there? February is the worst month in the 12 months to live in the city of Chicago. Sweetie, Valentine's Day. Yeah, I'm not such a big a day. fan of February. Okay, so before I get too off track, so Larry Nasser. Nasser? Much better. Okay. He was the guy who uh, molested all of those gymnasts for years, and this podcast is about, called Believed, is about... Exposing the whole story. Yeah, kind of telling how he got away with this, right? Well, in that, you know, a lot of these girls who were molested are now, you know, they tried to, some of them tried to tell their parents, and their parents didn't do anything, because not because they were bad parents, but they just... Kind of like weighed the pros and cons of, of like, did this really happen or did, you know, did they not understand his treatment? And that's actually the podcast this week. It's about the parents. Yeah. It's really interesting. But a lot of the girls tried to not talk about it, like pretend it didn't happen. And it would back up on them like eight years later yeah. in college, you know, like these, these things that were like, that we pretend don't happen show up in some way, shape or form. And, and what we can do is talk about it. Yeah. And, and again, as I always say to my my students, you know, when they ask why therapy works, it's just being able to externalize, to vocalize what's going on inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's why it works. And some people think that talking about it initially is painful, just like meditation initially is painful. Because it is. Because it is. Because what's going on inside of you is painful. Yeah, that's the pain. You want to have pain now or pain later. And a lot of us are like, well, I'll just give me the pain later so I don't have to do it now. And a lot of times that's when it has backed up on you so much that you've made all sorts of choices based on that pain where it's a million times worse. And maybe it's so bad that you don't even recognize that it's there, the the trauma, like you've forgotten about it or you you put it in a place somewhere in your system and your body that it's just not easy to access. And and then you're not quite sure what it's chicken and the egg. Yeah. Like I did this and this caused pain, but where did this stem from? And oftentimes it takes a significant amount of backtracking to be like, where did this begin? Sure. Where did this belief system start? Now, interestingly enough, I'm going to like pivot a little bit. I pivot. just wanted to talk about that that's how story can affect us. But I wanted to um, talk about how we get to decide our story. Okay. So what I mean by that, are you about to play something over me? No, sweetie, go ahead. I think you are. No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. So, um, in Mark Epstein's book, I I feel like you're going to play something. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, come on up, 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 up. This is Ross, Rachel, and Chandler trying to get a couch up the stairs yes. from the TV show Friends. I'm aware. Here we go. Pivot. 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 Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I think they had a hard time taping that because they were laughing so hard. They have so many outtakes from that scene. It's just one of the best. Actually, that episode, even though I don't love the later episodes of Friends, that episode is so funny with that couch. Like he and Rachel 
like they try and carry it up the stairs and it just falls over the stairs. And then at the end, he tries to return it and it's like cut in yeah. half. He's like, I don't want this couch anymore. Anyway. Mark Epstein. Mark Epstein. So he's talking, he talks about how he's talking with Sharon Salzberg about her story. And as I said, it was very traumatizing. But what she was eventually able to do um, with the help of teachers and therapists was talk through her situation so much so, and you know, and talk through her history that she was able to create some separation between herself and her history, mm. which allowed her to choose her story. Mm. Okay, so you know, what Sharon Salzberg says a lot in her teachings, but in some of her books, is what is the story do you tell yourself about yourself? Mm. Because if you haven't, if things have happened to you that have been traumatizing, a lot of times you'll be like, bad things happen to me. Or I, I have, um, you know, there's bad people in my family, or I always have bad friends, or I make poor choices, or I always get myself into disastrous situations. Like we tell a story about ourselves. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Completely. Yeah. Over and over again. And even if nothing is literally happening, happening externally, the glasses that we wear, the way we view everything is based on the story we tell about ourselves. And I want to, I'm, I'm saying this over and over again because it is indeed a story. Well, and this is a lot of, uh, and I think we're, we're going to kind of say the same thing in different ways. The language that you say to yourself, yes. like I'm a, I have bad luck or I have bad family members or whatever. If you start internalizing that, you are going to look through those lenses and look for evidence to justify your perception of the world. So what we're saying is to undo that, put on a new fresh pair of glasses and say, maybe my family members weren't bad. Maybe they were here to teach me, or maybe actually my family members weren't as bad as I thought they were. And I can see the good, not just in them, but in other things. So that's the reticular activating system I always talk about. Correct. And even it can be that happened but it's not happening now. Right. So there's two parts of it. It's how we reframe mm -hmm. our experiences and then recognizing where we are in this moment that those things aren't happening now. But we're seeing the world through the lens as if it is happening. Over right and over and over again. And I will hear, you know, when people sit in my office, they say things to me like, oh, well, that's just my nature mm -hmm. or that's just the way I am or I'm always going to have an issue with this or I just have to accept that this is always going to be my problem. And I, and not that I totally understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm like, oh, no, that's dumb. I totally get it. But there's really nothing true about what they're saying. Yeah. Like, what does true nature mean? Yeah. Like, true nature. It's a story nature, you're telling yourself. It is it's completely a, it's, a story. And you can change your story in any moment. It's funny. I don't know if this will make sense, but a lot of times when I'm working with guys coaching, they'll be like, okay, I'm going to try to lose 10 pounds in the next few months. I'm like, dude, there's no way you're going to lose 10 pounds in the next few months. If that is the language that you tell yourself, oh, yeah. that is the attitude. And then it, like, let's get it objective. Let's get specific. And don't say you're going to try because that's a built-in excuse. Say, I will do this by then. So mm -hmm. anyways, it's... Absolutely. It's just when, whenever you throw the word try in, that's your automatic out because yep. you're kind of like, you know what? I didn't do it. Yeah. And you know, I tried, but yeah. I didn't. And this is so important for us as individuals. It's important for us as parents and, you know, for the way we parent and also the way we watch our kids and the, what they say to themselves. Yeah. It's part of the reason that I'm not a huge fan of ev labeling children, even in the positive I'm not a big fan of You're saying, smart. this is my smart one. Yep. This is my athletic one. 
This is my lazy one. Yep. This is the one that drives me crazy. Yep. You know, all that those kind of things we do to kind of fill spaces in conversation or to kind of find some sense of symmetry, you know, where we're like, this is this is what's going on in my life and I have control over it. That language can really lead to a belief system about oneself that is really isolating mm-hmm. and stifling and not really necessarily 100% true. Um, not only that, but these those kind of labels of our children can keep our children in a box, not just by us, but by of their own making. Like, for example, if they had straight A's freshman year and then sophomore year, maybe they want to try an AP class or, or do something more difficult or, or, or maybe they're just struggling somewhere, that's going to cause them so much anxiety because you as a parent and they, listening to what you have to say, have built their identity around... I'm smart, and so if I'm not getting A's, then who am I? Well, and I will take it even one step deeper or one step further because you are hyper-conscious of this with me because I have said things to you, not lately, but like, oh, this is what this kid is like or whatever. And I think you're right. I think I do sometimes, I don't know, whenever you put a label on a kid, you're limiting them or you put a label on anything, you're limiting well, them. and you grew up with that a little bit. Sure. Because your parents did I was did the that. middle kid. Yeah. I got the good grades. John was whatever, the athlete. And Shane was always off with her friends, like whatever it was. Right. It, it, so I, I, I want to kind of just reconfirm what you're saying because you're like, don't tell your kids this. And to take a step back and and a little bit deeper down don't think it either like because if you're it's one thing okay i won't say it anymore but if you're thinking it it's going to trickle out one way shape or form well and and again because i'm being so word heavy Mm -hmm. you're gonna think things no matter what i know but be aware of those thoughts yeah question those thoughts when you're like oh this is my smart kid this is my athletic kid instead truly look at your kids like they're this mystery like look at them through this curiosity um, and cause maybe your kids sucked at math through second grade because they've had crappy teachers and all of a sudden they have a third grade math teacher that really engages them. You know, we always talk about how people say that girls aren't good at math. Like that is just a, oh, a dangerous thing to say because I know a lot of girls that are freaking brilliant engineers. Mm-hmm. So that's not true. It's not a true statement. Um, so question your thoughts when you, when you think like, oh, this is my problem kids. Like, no. You're, this is not your problem. Kid. And what you can, what you can shift in your mind, or even if you're like vocalizing this to someone that you're trying to gain support from, like, you know, your spouse or, you know, a friend, and you're trying to explain is right now, mm-hmm. I am challenged by what this child is doing. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. That's the honesty of the moment. But to say this child has always been a problem and they always will be, or I foresee my future as being horrible because of this child. Like, I love your language of mystery because I would say every single child is an evolving mystery. Yeah. And every day the kid, you know, obviously there's some habits and there's some patterns you can pick up on, but I would say question those habits and those patterns because... You know, I'm thinking of Chris Chambers from Stand By Me. Uh-huh. Remember Chris? Oh, yeah, yeah. He had the problem family. He was the problem kid. Everybody thought he was going to end up in jail. And Chris turned it around and he ended up being a lawyer. Right. He had this constitution. He had this this, 
this wiring that it was going to say, I'm going to get out of this town and I'm going to make something of myself. Absolutely. When all the evidence was to the contrary. Kids are unbelievable at being resilient, surprising you, and just let them. And resilient in their own ways. It, because I think this is sometimes when we talk about resiliency, we, we again have our parenting glasses on where we say, no, they're not because they're not bouncing back in this class the way that I expect them to. Or they decided to quit baseball, therefore they're not resilient. Look at all the aspects of their life. Look at the way that they're maybe able to manage a social situation. Look at how when they're trying to fix something in their room, they don't stop until they fix it. Mm -hmm. Notice how they are, um, you know, doing something outside like sledding and they can do it for seven hours straight that they, and I, again, I know that's not resiliency necessarily, but perseverance, or sometimes we look at our children through such a tunnel lens where we're like, they're not resilient to me. Therefore they're not resilient. And that tunnel lens is your kids are a mirror and what you are seeing. And if you see this is self-care, this is self-love. Right. You got to love yourself because right. if you look at your kid, if you don't love yourself, you look at your kid and you're like, oh, this kid doesn't work hard enough or this, there's a part of me. When I say this kid doesn't work hard enough, I know that there's a part of me that doesn't think that I work hard enough. Right. So that's an important distinction. Or you don't want them to make the same mistake you made when you were little and therefore you're saying you need to do more kid than I did. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's not always present day. Yep. And this is kind of the thing about story too is why we always say the best predictor of a child's well-being as a parent self-understanding is because if you don't know your history and if you don't know why you react to things the way you do and why you're triggered by the things you're triggered by, it's going to be very difficult for you to recognize recognize why you're parenting your child a certain way. Carry your own bags. See it. And, you know, one of the things that uh, going back to getting off the how we treat our kids and focusing on how we treat ourselves, one of the quotes that Mark Epstein says that I think is really simple but really kind of hit me was um, in regarding how we regard ourselves and our stories, take responsibility for yourself rather than give your thoughts a free pass all the time. Say that again. Take responsibility for yourself rather than give your thoughts a free pass Mm. all the time. Mm. So what he's saying is like, you have a thought that comes in that's like, I'm so, um, you know, I'm, I'm so not strong. Mm -hmm. And we just let that thought go around our body and we just let it take over. Mm. And he's saying, take, look at that thought. And again, this is very, I don't even want to be like, it's Buddhist thinking. It's mindfulness. This thought, visualize this thought floating through your body and you as the observer saying to yourself, is that true? Does that belong? Is that like the essence of who I am? Um, You know, like a lot of people I work with, they say things like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed or I'm so busy all the time or I could never do that. Everyone has more time than I do. I'm so busy. And I'm not negating the fact that they have things on their plate and that when they look at their their day, they go, wow, that's exhausting, especially if they have young kids. But the truth is we all have the same 24 hours. So when people are like, I'm more busy than other people or other people have it easier, there is a way that other people may be structuring their day that's different than yours or choices that they've made either earlier or in the moment or something they're working toward that feels different than yours. But it's not as if you are more burdened by time Mm -hmm. than other people. Like that is, you know, the whole idea of, I'm exhausted and and nobody gets me. Um, we're we're all living the life. We some of us are going through something present time that ne- necessitates more 
uh, energy, and I respect that. I've gone through that where I've been like, wow, this is a heavier time than, mm-hmm. you know, majority of my days. But that's not continuous. Well, and you're and I'm I'm kind of having this kind of deeper awareness of the term story, right? What that 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 does not mean as much to me. What the language that helps me is the voice inside my head, mm-hmm. and maybe it's subtly different than what you're referring to, but it could be very similar. You know, what story are you telling yourself about your plight or your upbringing or your outlook on life? That's really the voice inside my head. Right. And so would you say that's kind of similar? It's, well, it's the running tape, right? I mean, and the question, and when he's saying, and again, this is why I love this sentence is I think it's just a beautiful blend of Western and Eastern. It's a beautiful blend of the two worlds in a very simple sentence. Uh, take responsibility rather than give your thoughts a free pass. Mm-hmm. Like we just let all these thoughts roam around. So the trick to that quote is a disidentification with your thoughts, Completely. which is really... Um, challenging to do. I remember when I first started started learning this. But see, I'm even going to stop you. You're like, that's challenging. That's right. And you're telling a story about really it's it's not. It used to be challenging. Before I started reading Eckhart, I'm like, no, I am my thoughts. Like, what do you mean? The voice inside your head. Like, that's who I am. And then through Eckhart and meditation and Michael Singer and Untethered Soul and Sam Harris, who's one of my newer teachers, it's the idea of, can you be aware of your thoughts? Because that's kind of who you are. You're not your thoughts. That's the voice inside your head. Chapter one and chapter two of The Untethered Soul is, first one I think is called uh, The Voice Inside Your Head. The second chapter is Your Inner Roommate. So The Voice Inside Your Head is Your Inner Roommate. And The Inner Roommate sometimes looks at the world through a lens of survival and looks and picks up on the negative. And that's where hardwired to kind of see that. And the, it takes training through meditation, through um, positive, uh, who's the guy from Pennsylvania that, uh, positive psychology, Seligman. Oh yeah. Martin Seligman. There's all these wonderful teachers out there that talk about strength based and optimistic attitude and all that. So I'm getting off on a tangent, but I'm starting to kind of understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is there's all sorts of pieces that I'm trying to connect when it comes to story, because the story we tell ourselves just right away is then the life we live. Mm -hmm. Because if we already have decided in, you know, I'll share something uh, personal about myself, I guess, is that I think, I, I don't think, I know that growing up, I, the story that I had was because I thought that people were good and that I would forgive them. And this is gonna, I, well, it doesn't matter how it comes out because it's the truth. I would forgive them and I would think people are good and people are doing their best. And then people would look at me and say, you're weak. Mm. They would say, you forgive too easy. You're letting people walk all over you. You are, um, you believe people, you're, um, when you believe people too easy, you're gullible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a weakness attached to me that I then chose to carry. Yeah. Like there was like a, I'm kind of weak and I'm kind of gullible. And, and it's like, I, it's like they handed it. And when I'm saying they, it wasn't one person and it, it was over, it was lots of people. Multiple stories. It was most, I can tell you a million different stories up through college where past college where people are like, wow, you are really kind of an idiot. Right. And so I didn't necessarily think of myself as an idiot, but I thought, man, I'm kind of a weak soft, oversensitive, um, person. And the, and what I've been doing and, and, and I don't even know when the tip, tipping point was, I don't even know if it, you ever really get to that. I think it's just a constant practice, but I've recognized now with enough teachers and with enough therapy and with enough reading 
that there is absolutely zero zero things weak about forgiveness. <laughs> My ability to see goodness in people is actually the greatest strength I've ever I was ever given. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. You can take any yeah. attribute to your kid yeah. and view it through a lens of negativity and think it's negative and you could turn it the exact same behavior around right. into a strength. For example, my kid's lazy. All they do is sit in their room. You could say, my gosh, my kid knows how to sit still. And be alone. My kid knows how to be alone. Introspection. My kid is hyperactive and yeah. he goes nuts. And I think of Michael Phelps. Wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he had ADHD. He had and he became, and uh, these are extreme examples, but every, because I have a little bit of that too. I'm sometimes, it's funny, this is the voice inside my head, too trustworthy. And I'm gullible, and I've been taking it. I have been taken advantage of in certain part of one of my businesses, real estate. Uh, I'm a landlord, right? But can I just play sure. this game with you? Okay, so you're like, I'm too trustworthy. I'm gullible. Couldn't it be that you did the right thing, and someone that was sitting across from you didn't? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean you did the wrong thing, right? Like that's the thing is when we are taken advantage of. In that moment, we have a choice to either close our heart or open our heart. Mm -hmm. Like when we're forgiving, we're not forgiving the person and we're not saying walk all over me again. Like the people that that I needed to forgive, yeah. I didn't date them again. They didn't become my best friends anymore. I didn't call them all the time. I just didn't feel like being angry at them. I felt like going to a party and being able to say hi without having to carry the weight of anger. And I, I at the time was like, this is easier for me, so I must be weak. And now I realize that that was like the greatest thing ever. And yeah. people were telling me, I want you to be angry and be mad at these people instead. And that was their weakness. Right. Going back to the real estate thing, if again, I know you've learned some things, but if you were sitting across from someone right now and they were like, I need help, I'd hope you'd give them help again. Mm -hmm. You didn't do the wrong thing. So you're not gullible. Right. You just moved with your heart and were taken advantage of, and now you're wiser, mm -hmm. but you're not gullible. Um, I have learned from every experience. Right. And sometimes I've learned like, oh, I was too harsh with that tenant. Right. And then there's other times like, oh, I let that tenant off the hook and Perfect. they did not, because part of my job is to take radical responsibility for myself right. and to help others take radical responsibility for themselves. Right. So that's, it's tricky, nuanced balance. It is. And that's why we are still evolving mysteries. Yeah. See, because I don't really have language for myself anymore. Like one of, one of the things that I used to love labels and I wanted to be all these things. And, and, and while I can still attached to them, not attached to them. Well, I can still recognize them as being helpful. Like, you know, having, dealing with clear audience or being an empath or all these labels I used to really like. Now it, I, you don't need them as much anymore because I can pull pieces from them that, but that's not all of who I am mm -hmm. because there's many, many things that have nothing to do uh, that are part of me that have nothing to do with those things. I'm, I am also an evolving mystery and I think that's what wisdom really means, Todd, right. is that where we realize we know nothing and that's exactly how it should be. So what that means is we pay attention to the moment and we accept what's happening and how we feel and that we are okay as we are. And that's, you know, I, I, I believe that's what Sharon Salzberg was trying to teach in that moment of story is she realized that a lot of like, I'm going to just read a quote from her from... Um, Oh, sorry. This is actually from Mark Epstein's book, but this is a quote from Sharon Salzberg. She said, the story I was telling myself was that what I felt didn't matter. 
I didn't care about anything, or so I hoped it seemed. I came to know very well the protection of distance of a narrow, compressed world. Though it was my own act of pulling back, I felt forsaken, and for years I hardly spoke. I barely allowed myself a full-blown emotion, no anger, no, no joy. My whole life was an effort to balance on the edge of what felt like an eroding cliff of where I was stranded. But then after that, she finds a teacher who she starts working with and she starts sharing her story and saying it out loud and realizing that all these ideas about being forsaken or that she wasn't worthy or that she didn't matter were all because she had never had a voice. She had never expressed her feelings. She had never recognized that she was the same as all humans, Mm -hmm. all of us. You know, your sister was reminding me um, over Thanksgiving, she was, we were talking about I think me having the flu last year, and she was reminding me about the podcast we did, which I, you know, I still can't believe I did a podcast while I was sick, but about how I was crying and saying, I'm so sorry if I ever judged anybody mm. who was doing what they needed to do to uh, get well, yeah. because I had, I had, was in that position where I was so weak and so sick that I had to make choices that I never thought I would make. And in that moment, I realized, oh, you're just, you're human like everyone else. You're no better. You're no worse. It was very, can I tell you that, and, and I, I think this will make sense because this is the balance of grief and joy. It, at that lowest time, I was the most relieved. I was like, oh, I don't have to be anything. So you surrendered. Not only did I surrender to the moment, but I felt like, oh, I don't have to pretend to be better then, and when I say people, no one in particular, but I think sometimes we hold ourselves up as if I'm going to do this different, I'm going to do this right. And when you're like, oh, I'm just human. Yeah. Well, it's almost like, you know, maybe your ego is comparing yourself to your next door neighbor. Sure. But really what's happening is you're comparing yourself to your own perception of yourself. Of, of who I think I'm supposed right. to be. Correct. And I think all of life is us not, life is not knocking us down to knock us down, but we have experiences to recognize how we're like everybody else, how we're, you know, again, we all grow up with this, this bell curve where everyone wants to be above average. And that doesn't make any sense. We can't all be above average. And what does that mean anyway? That's based, you know, the, this whole idea of being above average is like based on IQ and things that we hold up as being what success are and what, I've learned is that success is completely something different. So I guess my point is, is that um, it is that balance of joy and grief is sometimes when we're at our lowest is when we're at our most relaxed and happy. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Because we're like, oh, I get to just live on this plane of not knowing. Yeah. You're allowed, you basically wipe the slate clean and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And isn't that what we owe our kids? Is yeah, instead wipe of look- the slate, slate clean every day. Every day. Instead say, this one's good at math, this one's good at reading, this one's not good at anything. Yes, and when they make a mistake, there may be consequences, boundaries, structure, do it all, you guys. So this is not about just let things be a free-for-all. But once those things have been put in place and maybe a rule was broken or they made a poor choice, the consequences enacted, but then you can still love them and hug them and and, yeah. and give them other chances to demonstrate that they there's more to them than this one thing, yeah. and that you you see them for who they are. Boundaries and consequences with connections. Sweetie. Correct. Um, can I interrupt you and ask you a question? Yes. How's your holiday shopping going? Uh, today I've been rocking it. Today's Cyber Monday. Well, if you want something meaningful or something that your friends and family would really love, I have an idea for you. Good. What? Um, Canvas people. We talked 
talked about them last week. What they do is they take uh, your pictures from your phone or on your camera and you upload them to the website and they will produce a beautiful canvas. And we have it in our bedroom. No, not our bedroom. In Cameron's bedroom. In Cameron's room, yeah. Um, It's great for decor. The prints are like pieces of art. And here's the deal that they have given to our Zen parenting listeners. You don't even have to go on your laptop anymore. You can, from your phone, you need to text the word Zen, Z-E-N, to 484848. Can you remember that, sweetie? 484848. And you're going to get... That's what I'm... That's how old I'm going to be next year. That's right. I'm 47 big four eight. I know. You'll be halfway home, as I like to say. Mm. I've been saying that for like 10 years. <laughs> halfway home. Um, so here's the deal. If you text Zen to 484848, 48, 48, you get an eight, uh, no, an 11 by 14 canvas for free. Free. F-R-E-E. Free. All you got to do is pay for uh, shipping and handling. Um, and the offer won't last, but get your order in before the holiday season because it's something that is a wonderful gift. So I encourage everybody to do that. Thank you, Canvas people. Free. I'm going to give the Canvas people a clap. Nice. A little melodramatic. Um, melodramatic. I don't. Or you could just go to. Work. Or you could just go to the website and type in Zen as your coupon code. But uh, I like to do it on my phone because it's easier. So that's a deal. Um, where are we going next? So we're still talking about story, but I wanted to um, talk about something that. So I'm still not done with Michelle Obama's book, um, Becoming. We talked about it last week. How many books are you reading right now? I said three. Remember at the beginning of the show? I think that it's more than three. No, no. These are the three I'm reading right now. All right. I'm reading Danny Shapiro's book. Which I'm is reading... the one that you didn't want to finish because it was so good. Danny Shapiro's book. I'm reading it super slow because it's so good. <laughs> I like, I only, I was reading it on the plane home from Seattle and I looked at Todd. I said, I have to stop reading this because it's so good, which That's- I'm sure then you know no you're sense. reading a good book. I know because I don't want to be done because I, I love her books, even though she's got another that I can get. So anyway, so I'm I'm close to being done with Michelle Obama's book. And um, her book is a lot about her story, obviously, right? And she has such a great take on story and the importance of our story. And I actually, there was something that I underlined in the beginning of her book. And then I noticed last night that it's actually on the back of her book that, so I want to read it to you what it says. All because right. she, read away. This place from this uh, piece from her uh, preface was on the back of the book. It says, she said, um, there's still a lot I don't know about America, about life, about what the future might bring, but I do know myself. My father, Frazier, taught me to work hard, laugh often, and keep my word. My mother, Marion, showed me how to think for myself and use my voice. Together in our cramped apartment on the south side of Chicago, they helped me see the value in our story, in my story, in the larger story of our country, even when it's not pretty or perfect, even when it's more real than you want it to be. Your story is what you have, what you will always have. It is something to own. Yeah, Isn't that I great? I think the key is to own it and don't let the story own you. Yes, and be thoughtful about how you tell that story. To yourself. Because here's the thing that's so beautiful about Michelle Obama's book, and for those of you who have read it, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. She's very honest in this book, but keeps it as lessons and learning and experiences rather than here's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's more like here's something that I experienced, which led me to this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't all good. She had failures. She had challenges. Even her saying what her dad taught her and what her mom taught her. Her dad 
I actually was telling Todd last night that I feel a lot of, you know, I, I feel kindred to her anyway because I think Michelle Obama's awesome. But her experience with her dad being sick is so similar to mine. Mm. Um, her dad was sick a lot when she was much younger than I was, but she went through a lot of years watching her dad be sick and and watching his body break down. And I had the exact same experience. And she shares some stories that I, even though they're not identical in, na- in you know, exactly what's happening, the detail, I know exactly what she's talking about. You want to tell the one that you told me in bed the other night? Yeah. She tells a story about how um, one day her dad is leaving for work and he's not well and she knows it. And I mean, he has MS, so they all knew he wasn't well, but he was having a really tough day and he said he's going to go to work anyway. He was supposed to go to the doctor, but he didn't want to go. And so he walks out the door and he left his walker um, in the house. And she noticed that. And, and, and Todd knows that that was always something we talked to my dad about. He had a cane, he had a walker and he didn't like using it. And, yep. and I understood why. He evaded it for as long as he could. And I, I got it. I totally, cause he would say to me, Kathy, if I depend on this, I'll never go back. Right. And I understood, but it was also hard cause I knew he could fall, yeah. which he did occasionally. Um, but she saw her dad walk out, he walked down the stairs and he left his walker. So she looked out the window to see if he had left. And he was sitting on the stairs trying to get enough energy Mm. to keep going. And she knew she couldn't go out there and say anything. She knew he needed his dignity and that she was not going to go out and be like, are you okay? Do you need my help? And I, I can relate to that story so well. Like there's so many times that I had to not, I had to pretend that I wasn't worried. I had to act like my dad had it going on the way he thought he did. And that's just what we do for people we love. It's Um, what we do. So when I heard that story, it kind of, I don't think I'm especially good at this. I think, um, I don't know, I have three daughters and they don't get a chance to see me in a weakened state. No. My guess is when you were growing up, you probably didn't see your dad. Never. And Michelle Obama probably didn't see her dad in a weakened state. Until, Until she was a little older. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, don't you think there's some value in it? Like I said, I'm, I'm owning this. I don't think I'm very good at sharing my frustrations at work or I've never had to go in the hospital. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it's such a shock when we see our parents become weak. And I just wonder if we should, could take the edge off of that is if we maybe showed our vulnerabilities a little bit more. And I would say, and I, I think you'll be surprised I say this, I would say no. Really? I would say no. And this is why, because that's stress rehearsing tragedy. You're trying to no, evade something. No, but there's some something. honesty in it. Well, there's honesty, Todd. If it's honest, it's honest, period. Instead of I'm going to do something proactive to show you I have weakness, so then it's not shocking to you later. That's not honest. I think it's more my natural state to show my frustration, my anger, my sadness. And I, am, I through my own story, have covered them up. Oh. So I think it's an exercise of honesty. I'll bet you your dad was also, and Michelle Obama's dad was weak and sad and vulnerable and angry. But as men, we were taught not to show that, especially to our kids, because we are their knight in shining armor. And I just wonder, like I could just, you know, let's say I have a long, healthy life and then I'm 80 years old and I fall down the freaking stairs for the first time. My daughters are going to be totally traumatized. I know. But you know what? Even if my dad had shown me more of his vulnerability when I was younger, what he went through, I would have been traumatized all the same. You don't think it would have taken the edge off? No, I I think, I mean, I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know. The reason I'm saying no is because I'm so 
feel so connected to that idea of we do a lot of dress rehearsing tragedy in our life where we try and do certain things to keep something else from hurting later. And from what I've learned from Brene Brown's research yeah. is that everybody who she interviewed over her 10 years of you know doing vulnerability research, they were like, it didn't help at all. Yeah. Once you have something happen that's traumatized or once someone grows, gets sick or falls down or it's not as if because you saw them get a cold earlier that this is not traumatizing. Right. It, it's... So my point to you is that I think if you would like to be more honest, authentic authentic in front of our kids, that's not a problem. But if you're doing it for some other yeah. outcome in the future, I think that's a misperception. No, I, I, I buy that. Um, so, and, yeah. I, and I also think that you are, your girls, I, I think you, this is interesting about our story. Okay. okay. I think you think they never see you not know what you're doing. But I think they Sweetie, do. I always know what I'm Well, doing. and that's the thing is I think your story is I need to keep it together and therefore that's the glasses that you're wearing. Mm. But I know when you're off. And when I say off, I mean having a tough day, not really being like yourself. And your girls see it too. Right. And you don't have to be like, hey, look, everybody, I'm off. Yeah. We know. And we don't think you're perfect. And I think, and thank God you're not, because that's what makes you compassionate and open. And Well, yeah, and I, this is kind of a different thing, but the older we get, the easier it is for our kids to see our humanness. Right, right. Um, mostly probably because our kids are getting smarter. <laughs> right. Secondly, is probably because when we're 35, we can hold it together a little bit better than when we're 45, whether it be, you know, health or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm laughing really hard because... <laughs> This thing I keep doing where I'm like, oh my gosh, my girls must think I'm losing it. So Skylar gets these, um, <laughs> what are those lunches that the are Lunchables in the box? Lunchables uploaded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I keep calling them unlunchables. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, are you sure you want to eat that unlunchable? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does she say? She laughs so hard. She was mom. It's called... Uploaded. Yes. It's not in, but it's called a lunchable. Uploaded. Uploaded. And so you turn it into <laughs> lunchables. Unlunchables. And I, and I, and why I'm laughing is I don't know I'm doing it. Like that's an age thing, like where it's me saying, you know, where I used to be so skilled at saying the right words. Well, and now I'm saying unlunchables. I feel like as our kids get older, there's a part of their brain that still thinks that we are perfect. And then there's another part of their brain that sees that we're just freaking trying to do the best we can. Just buying unlunchables. We're just buying unlunchables. <laughs> and I think it's important, and, and this goes back to maybe what I was saying, is I think we can more deeply connect with our kids yeah. the more of a human being we are oh, yeah. versus mom hat and oh, yeah. dad hat. Roles. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've talked about that so much on this show of playing a role. Then when you say something like unlunchable, mm. instead of laughing and being like my brain, you would be like, well, you told me, you know, we, we then blame or we feel like we have to hide the fact that we just said the wrong word. Well, we, we go into this pretending mode. So an hour ago, I was uh -huh. dropping off JC and Mary uh -huh. at, I was... I, so I was dropping Mary off, uh -huh. one of JC's friends, and I passed up her driveway. I wasn't right. thinking. I was in my head, um, and I swore in front of her, and a lot of parents are going to be like, yeah, big deal. Which word? 
uh, rhymes with pit and it starts with an sh sound. Oh, okay. And I just don't do that in front of my kids. I right. don't know what it's. And you don't swear that much. I'm anyway. not much of a swear. I yeah. actually swear a lot when I'm working with men on the phone. I uh-huh. don't know why. It's like a Tony Robbins thing where I kind of cut through uh-huh. the BS very quickly using language. But um, it's. I realized today it's like probably one of the first times where my kid. My kid just heard me swear like a normal person. And I should probably start doing that more often. Well, here, and this is what I will say to you, is instead of I probably should do it, be doing this more often, just do you and allow it to be. Yeah. Like, because you, you are kind of sometimes... A disembodied head where you you think to yourself, I should be doing things differently. That's yeah. your story yeah. always. It's like, I could do this better. I could mm-hmm. do this differently. Why don't you just be you? And if you happen to swear, great. And if you don't, that's fine. Because I know you swear in front of your men, but you don't really swear that much. No, I'm not I, swear much I swear 10 times more than yeah. you do. And sometimes even when I'm swearing in front of you, I'm like, I talk about, I'm like, I should tone it down because right. Todd's not following suit. Like right. I'm using all these really crass words and he doesn't use them. Yeah. I don't feel like you, I can't. I'm just saying that that's how much you don't swear. Sure. So to say I'm going to swear more so I can teach my kids that I'm I'm a different, that just is so inauthentic. Well, and this is one of your strengths. And for some reason, I always think of you sitting on the gray chair upstairs uh-huh. doing Snapchat together uh-huh. um, or Insta, whatever it is, with Snapchat, the girls. Yeah. You guys have the filters with <laughs> yeah. the funny faces. Yeah. You talk about removing your mom hat. <laughs> like you, not only do you take off the mom hat, you throw it away and it's just gone. Right. Like it's not even, it's not in the room. It's not in our yard. It's like you threw the mom hat 10 miles away and you're it's just on like, 290. A, it's on 290 <laughs> and you're just like a girl having fun with other girls. Yes. And I, and those other girls happen to be our daughters. Right. And I just think that that's a wonderful strength and that's what keeps us connected to our kids is take off the hat. Right. And, and, I, I, think and I need to do a better job of that. Well, and I can think of times where you do that too, like you went sledding today, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like I think sometimes your our story sometimes forces us to, we try and look at the things we could be doing better yeah. rather than recognizing what we're doing, doing well, right? right? Yeah. And so the thing is, is what I would say as far as that goes is that that is really who I am. I'm not saying I'm going to play Snapchat so my girls think I'm having fun. Right. Because then they're going to know that it's that I'm not. They can pick up on the inauthenticity of it. Right. Like one of the things that we just, rec- like just to give an example of that is that one of my daughters has like this really strong need to travel. Mm-hmm. Like has since for the last five years. She wants to travel. I have a feeling when she gets into college she's going to go abroad like three semesters. Like she just needs to go places. So I've been feeling a lot of Um, and I'll use this word pressure Mm. to be like the person who helps her travel. Well, the truth is I don't travel. I travel all over the United States and I love it, but I'm not an international traveler. Like it doesn't float our boat. Some, two of my best friends travel all of the time, all the time and they love it. And they're, they, they're, they want me to go with them and it's not me. And, and I, I want it to be me. It's kind of like the way I want to listen to country music more. I love country music, but I never turn it on. Mm. So like it, it must not, be what I want to listen to. Does that make sense? Like, but when I hear a country music song, I'm like, this is great. Why don't I listen to this more? My point is, is that why don't you listen to it more? I don't know why I want it. I want to go to Rome, but why have I not been? Yeah. Cause I think that's, that's the thing is we sometimes want to make ourselves into everything, everything, everything to everybody, everything to everybody at every point in time, every kind of genre of music, every city, every town, every country. And the truth is at certain points of our life, we can only do so many things. 
why I'm telling this story is I finally told my daughter this weekend, I said, you know what? Because we had talked about maybe going abroad this summer. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. And part of the reason it's not going to happen is because you and I don't have that kind of wanderlust. I don't have the drive whatsoever. I think about the money. I think about the way we travel. We just want to sit around. I don't I don't have it in me to want to do that. Now, if you and the other three kids, our other three kids want to do it, I will go along for the ride. But I was so happy when you kind of nipped it in the bud. Well, and here's what I told my daughter. I would rather take that money that we kind of had put aside to do that this summer and and give it put it toward you when you get in college and you choose where you want to go and we'll help you do that and then when you're there your dad and I will come visit you in that internet so I'll go abroad but I don't want to create the experience I don't want to be like I wanted to be everything to her yeah. I wanted to be the one who showed her this and this and this and I'll take you yeah. to Rome and I'll take you to Paris that is not where I shine. Yep. You know who sh- you know who's going to take Skylar to Paris? Jessica. Mm-hmm. She is. I'm I may go, but I'm not going to run that show. Yeah. I'm not good at everything. Did you know that, Todd? Sweetie, you're not good at playing people. I'm not good at playing people. I'm not great at travel. I'm not great at Sweetie, listening to country music. People is those little people, those people and those little the little, little it's, you like play with little dolls when your kids are like four and they want to play people and like have these imaginary things and our kids always wanted to do that and it was like on a scale of one to ten for you it was basically a zero the worst ever I don't and want to me play. it was a three and and I and I don't want to and I would force myself to and then I'd be resentful and then I would like not like it and I'm like why don't why don't I do my thing and you do your thing and we be together. Yeah, that's what you like to do because you don't like to play board games with us, but you like to read a magazine next to us while we're playing board right, games. Right, even though I did play a lot of Scattergories over things. Scattergories is a good game. Because I'm good at Scattergories. You're very good at Scattergories. And that's the thing is I'm like, and it's not about winning because I didn't even win, yeah. but it's about I enjoy this, therefore I'll show up for it. And so my point is, is that the sometimes this is all about story. Like I think the story I've always told myself is I have to be all things to my children. Yeah. And sometimes when I can't be that... It's a relief where I'm like, I'm not the one to do this. So I've told all my girls, if you are struggling with something and you don't think I'm very good at it for whatever reason, go to your sister, go to my sister, go to your aunt, go, you know, like go to Manisha, go to Jessica. Like, And that goes to the 13-year-old party. Yes. That's the 13-year-old, 13-year-old party, party is something that we have done for two out of our three daughters. Basically, you get a group of women together in the same room and show our daughter that it's not just mom and dad. Right. That there are all these women that'll support you, that love you, that want to listen to you, that is that are here for you, and that I can't, I, I'm not all, thing. I mean, I, I'm wholly and fully their mother, yeah. but I'm also a human being and yeah. I'm not good at everything. Yep. But the things that I am good at, I show up for mm-hmm. and I'm really good. <laughs> you know, the girls have been telling us over break, like some of the things we, we say and do that annoy them. And it cracks me up because... I, and, and we're very open about it. Like they're like, well, I hate it when you, the thing that they said that they can't stand that I say is when I say, oh, I'm so sorry. That's disappointing to you. Yeah. And that's so something I would teach other parents to say. Right. So it made me laugh that I'm like, hmm, maybe I should rethink that. But two of them said it bugged them. One of them said it didn't. So it, that's the thing. It's like. Our story is we are good as we are, that we are worthy no matter what. We are enough. We are enough. And we are enough if we had a traumatizing childhood. 
we are enough if we had nothing happen in our childhood. Because sometimes people feel guilty because they didn't have trauma in their childhood. Like I listen to actors and actresses on all the podcasts I listen to and they're like, well, I feel bad. Or comedians who are like, I feel bad because I had a really good childhood. You feel bad because mm-hmm. you had a really good Talk childhood. Talk about a clever ego. Right. You know, they're like, ego I Ego will stop at nothing I know. to make you feel less than. I know. And the trauma for the kids, for us adults who are traumatized as kids, you can look at it like, oh my God, I was traumatized. Or you can look at it like, I am resilient. Right. I have something to learn. I, if, if and when my friend or my daughter or my son or my nephew goes through trauma, I can share my story. Like yes. there's always some value that can be pulled from the worst possible experience. Absolutely. You know, the one, the last story I'll share about story, um, is that the, in this book, Mark Epstein's book, Advice Not Given, he's talking about his own mother mm-hmm. who had been grieving the loss of his dad. And she, and he would go visit her and she would kind of get upset and get tears of her in her eyes. And she would always say to him, I'm sorry, I know I should be over this by now. And every time he would look at her and say, mom, you don't have to be over this, nor should you be over this, nor do you need to apologize to me. This mm-hmm. is the beauty of having a therapist for a child, right? Yeah. Where they're like, you don't have to be anything other than what you are. Yep. And she would say, you mean I really don't need to not be sad about this anymore? And he would say, no. And that would happen over and over again, like she wasn't fully integrating it. But I want on this podcast to say this to everybody right now, is that you're an evolving mystery there's, if you're still sad about something that happened when you were 10, that's okay. Yeah. Keep talking about it. Keep journaling. Do what you need to do. And you you and I just had a talk the other night about healing. Mm-hmm. And that I, Todd said, don't you think you can just heal something and it can go away? Mm-hmm. And I said, that hasn't been my experience. Yeah. But Todd's like, don't you think that could happen? And I said, yeah. Yeah. But I, in my experience, the things that have been hurtful to me still live as a pain but they no longer rule my life. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. I still, when I still, I can... Don't let it drive the car. Right. Like I was just doing yoga in my, uh, since we had a snow day, I did yoga down here today and I was, and I was kind of doing a downward dog and I was looking backwards and I saw a picture of my dad and mm-hmm. I got teary. Mm-hmm. Not, not like full on sob fest, but I cried. Yeah. I don't feel guilty about that. Sure. That that comes up in me at the weirdest times. And I think about things like I was telling Skylar's story the other night and I was thinking about something from fourth grade that really hurt me and I got teary about it. Well, I and, still feel it. And this is something that I think needs to be distinguished. We're not saying, and I know you're not saying this, if you had a trauma-filled childhood or one big event or 10 big events, doesn't matter. We're not asking you to get over no. it. No, gosh, no. Uh, we're asking you to build on it. You're, we're asking you to see it as something that can be, I don't know, useful instead yes. of getting past it. Yes. You know? That it is. So let me talk about Sharon Salzberg again, okay. because she was the one who, who we started the podcast with. Sharon Salzberg, who had that extremely painful childhood where she not only had all those things happen to her, but nobody talked to her and she felt like non-existent. And then through discussion and through teachers and through, and through noticing her mind and how she told her story, she realized she's the best teacher of compassion. You know why? Because she understands suffering. Oh, um, it's funny. I sent you that Facebook video. I don't remember. There's a, there's a, there's a man who's a doctor, who's a public speaker. 
um, Mike Damish put him on his Facebook page. He's really tiny. Oh, yeah, yeah. What oh, is yeah. his name? Kevin? No. No, um, I thought it was Sam. I'm, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. But he has... He's got a, a Facebook page. I've se- I've followed him. And this, this won't make sense because we can't give you the person's name, and I apologize for that. But he uh, is has some immense physical deficiencies, mm-hmm. but he's a public speaker uh-huh. and he's very inspirational. Mm-hmm. And I even said like, maybe we can get this guy at the conference someday. Yeah. And there's a part in that talk, and I don't know if you watched all the way through, but he's like, these challenges, these physical challenges I have are my gift because my message would not be nearly as powerful had it not been provided in this container. Right. And he's talking about his, his own body. body because if he was a regular guy who's six foot two and good looking and athletic and everything else, it wouldn't pack such a punch. And he has taken this, this body that was given to him by God or nature or the universe, and he's used it for good. And he's like, I know that my message is so much more powerful because of what I look like. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he said, the reason you're listening to me right now is because how I look. Yes. Because when I'm telling you I'm happy in my body and you look at me and I'm telling you I'm happy, you think to yourself, then how can I not be happy? So like it was, and that is, that's the same thing with Sharon Salzberg or any of us. Like, and we don't, she looked at all of her suffering and thought, I can teach compassion because I understand it. Like when we talk about compassion, we use it flippantly. Compassion is a really challenging thing to live, to be able to feel with other people, to be able to acknowledge that we're no different and that what a human being is experiencing is of us. Like that Maya Angelou quote, you know, whatever is of a human being is of me too. And that, that is, that's a deep place to go. That's not a place of, who's the boss and who's the leader and, um, who, you know, who's in charge and, um, and you know, some people are better and that none of that's true. Mm -hmm. That's talk about ego games. Um, so I think to, to, you know, cause I know we're closing this. So just to finish, you know, your story is yours and you get to decide how it's told. I don't mean that you don't tell the truth or that you make things up. What I mean is whatever happened, you get to figure out how to use it. And no one can tell you otherwise. Like if someone wanted to come in right now and tell me, well, actually you really are weak or you shouldn't have done it this way, or your path wasn't the right one, or you should have majored in something else. That that's ridiculous. Like I choose and my path to me has been fantastic, but also full of pitfalls, right? There was not, there's nothing I've gone through that I've been like, Oh, this has been a breeze. Like it, but it's been right. And it's been right because it happened Mm -hmm. and, and you keep using that along the way. So, you know, story, you know, it's, uh, it's yours. What's the story, Morning Glory? What's the story, Morning Glory? Um, can I tell you about my friend Josh? Please. Yes. Uh, yes Josh yes, yes. St. Pierre is a friend of mine. We had him on the podcast on June 19th. It was podcast number 441, I think. Um, I'll include it actually in the show notes. Um, the name of the, the title of the podcast was Why Do We Need Two Kidneys So We Can Give One Away? I have a wonderful update. Um, Josh got a transplant uh, kidney, a new kidney last Tuesday. 
and he wants to come back on the show and tell his new story, which we're very happy to provide. So this Friday, um, it's going to be podcast number 468. We're going to let Josh come in and give an update on how he's doing. And I cannot be more happy for Josh. We actually set up a GoFundMe page to help him with medical bills, and he obviously can't work while he gets better. He's a soccer coach, and he's an Uber driver. Um, I'll uh, keep that on the show notes as well if you want to donate to uh, Josh's GoFundMe page. It's been unbelievably uh, successful, and we've raised a lot of money to help Josh with a lot of these expenses that he is undergoing. And so. I, ju- I just want to say something about that, that part of the story, Josh's story that I, that just kind of blew my mind was that, you know, we were sitting around last Monday, and then Todd got a call from Josh, and Josh said, there's a, possibly a kidney donation coming in from California, and I won't know for sure until, you know, tonight or tomorrow. And he's like, but it, it could happen. And all I kept thinking is, 24 hours before that, he had, no, he had no idea. Getting ready to go drive. And he was probably like, this may never happen, or this possibly could never happen, or nothing happens. And he, I'm making all this yeah. up. Josh wasn't saying this, but... He may have been saying to himself, "This will, I'll never not yeah. be on dialysis. And all of a sudden, something happens. And all of a sudden, his life was changed yep. in a moment. In and a if, moment. In if a we phone call. allow our story to be that open, yeah. where we're like, something could change. It, we obviously can. We can change our perception. That's within our control. But then there's things that aren't in our hands that it's... I just thought his story, it just really blew my mind that... In 24 hours, he went from not sure he could possibly survive to getting a kidney. Yep. It's crazy. Um, So tune in on Friday. Um, We have a Zen friend to thank. A Zen friend is somebody who donates to the scholarship fund to help us bring moms and dads who can't afford to the conference to the conference. Um, Patty Harlampoutis, sweetie. Yeah. And I gave her a nickname. You ready? I'm right. I hope it's good. Patty the Greek Harlampoutis. Because she is Greek. Because I think she's Greek. Kind of like Jimmy the Greek. But it's Patty the Greek. Well, I hope she's Greek. You know, like if she's not, then maybe well, maybe she, she married want... a Greek dude. Maybe. Maybe she's not Greek at all. Right. So Patty. So then again, she's maybe not the best nickname. No, it's really good. It's really. Uh, I am evidence. So we are screening a movie called I Am Evidence on December fourth. There's nine people signed up. I know. What's the deal? Elmhurst people or Western suburbs people. We want to see you there. The library was nice enough to pay for this licensing fee. Well, and, and I it's less put people there. I know, but it's less about that and more about this is a really good movie. It's an important documentary. Yeah. And so I say bring your teen boys and bring your teen girls yes. and show them the yes. way that right now our issues around sexual assault are being like played out yep. in the judicial system. Yep. Like the, the, if, you know, when people talk about that certain things don't happen or that things are more equal than we say they are, or that things don't really happen to women. Okay. Here's a great example. Bring your son or bring your uh, spouse who maybe you have discussions with about, you know, not believing women or what women experience. This is a great yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Um, Team Zen, we have a Zen talk this Friday. Mm-hmm. Team Zen, it's uh, it's we have two live Zen talks a month. It's Kathy and I and all, a bunch of you guys that ask questions. We have a dialogue. We have uh, 46 some odd archive Zen talks that you get access to. We have a Team Zen Facebook page. We get we also give uh, Team Zen discounts on things, and we are doing um, we are talking about Debbie Reber's book in Team Zen, and she's going to come on 
uh, not on the show, but kind of come talk to the Team Zen members about her book, Differently Wired. So there's Team Zen is like... And don't forget about the holiday gifts, sweetie. Oh, yeah. And Todd's sending out gifts to all of our Team Zen people now. So check it out. Go to our uh, website. Um, and then don't forget about our other partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He works for Avid Company. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Uh, the website is avidco.net or Jeremy's phone number is 630-956-1800. Give him a call. Um, and I also coach guys. Um, if you're a guy out there and you want to work on relationship with self, with um, your partner, with your business partner, your children, your children, uh, check out my website, uh, toddadamscoaching.com. First session is free. I can't make it any easier for you guys. I want to kind of fill up my calendar with with that. And we are going to make a big announcement probably in a week of the our our next couple of speakers that we are having at the 2019 conference. So you guys know our our keynotes are Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, Julie Lithcott-Hames, Devorah Heitner. They're all going to be at the 2019 conference. But we also have other speakers coming, um, and we'll announce them probably in the next couple of weeks because we want to give you an opportunity to get your tickets before early bird runs out. That's and right. that's at the end of December. That's right. It's going to be off the hook. So that's March 8th and 9th, uh, 2019. Yep. Uh, have a good one. Keep trucking. Tune in on Friday here, uh, Josh St. Pierre. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime, you choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios. <laughs>